Hey, welcome to the house of God. We're glad to have you uh, with us here on this Sunday morning uh, at Pursuit. Hey, just a few things to put on your radar real briefly. Tomorrow night at 6 p.m. we kick off our brand new fall quarter for Pursuit Nights. We're going to be doing a three-month study on spiritual warfare. I promise you, uh, you're not going to want to miss this. The last time that I taught on the spirit of Jezebel, I felt like all hell broke loose in the church. And so I said, let's do it again. And so uh, anyways, we're going to take the next three months, but we're starting tomorrow night, 6 p.m. Dinner is provided, childcare is provided. And so we're going to invite you out. It's really a great time of community and uh, fellowship here uh, in the house of God. Hey, I want to thank you for your prayers. I just flew in actually this morning from the nation of Panama. I was uh, preaching there, uh, actually at the lar largest church in Panama, youth conference, about 5,000 young people. And uh, we just saw the power of God impact young people in powerful and profound ways. And they told me, they said, we got a whole group of Panamanians who are watching Pursuit live stream. We are inspired by what God is doing in the Northwest. And we're just convinced that if God can do it in Seattle, God can do it in our nation as well. In fact, one of the pastors down there randomly, nobody ever knows about Snohomish, but randomly he has been to Snohomish before. And he just told me, he said, so let me get this straight. Y'all have a church in Snohomish and y'all are having revival in the Northwest. And I said, yes, sir. And uh, anyways, just a powerful time of being in the presence of God. And uh, what I have found is that the spirit of God is the best translator that has ever existed. And when people experience the genuine power of the Holy Ghost, I'm not talking hype, I'm not talking personality, but I'm talking genuine power of the Holy Ghost. It transcends every language. We're laying our hands on young people all across the altar, people just being shook by the power of God. And I just thought to myself, man, this is the faithfulness of God to the next generation. Young men and young women deserve an encounter with a God that they cannot fully explain. And the Apostle Paul said it this way. He said, we are stewards of the mystery of God. We are not explainers of the mystery of God, but we hold high the beauty and the brilliance of the triune Godhead. And then we allow him to do his best work in the lives of people in ways that human words cannot even explain. I would venture to say this morning that uh, by virtue of you being here in this house, you have had an encounter or an experience with God at some moment in your life that you cannot explain. And I think we face this pressure in the West because of the enlightenment, you know, philosophical era that we're in that we always have this need to try to over explain and, and, and take a 15 minute break in every service and help describe everything that's happening. And I just know that some of the most profound times that I've had in the presence of God have been when his presence is so overwhelming that human words and human emotion fail to fully convey what a person is experiencing. And I think we owe that to the next generation. I think we owe them an encounter, not just with the written God, but with the living God. And in doing so, uh, we're just seeing his power break out in all sorts of ways and in different nations all across the earth. This morning, I'm gonna share with you uh, a story out of the Gospel of Matthew. Some of you will be familiar with it. Others of you, it may be your first time hearing it today, but it gives us insight into the character and the nature of Christ and the passion of Jesus as it pertained to the temple and what it should be versus what it was being used as in the first century. In Matthew 21, starting in verse 12, this is what the Bible records of Jesus. It says that Jesus entered the temple courts and he drove out all who were buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those who were selling doves. 
He declared, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. The Bible says, then the blind and the lame, they came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things that he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked Jesus. Yes, he replied. Haven't you read from the lips of children's and infants? God has called forth praise. And he left them and he went out to the city of Bethany where he spent the night. Let me give you a little timeline perspective this morning. This event is happening directly after the triumphal entry. A week prior to the crucifixion of Jesus. This is in fact the second time that Jesus is cleansing the temple. He does it once at the beginning of his three-year earthly ministry. And now he does it at the end of his three-year earthly ministry. The first time is at the beginning of his public ministry. The second time is near the end of his public ministry. I want you to notice something because this pattern is replete in the life of Christ. Right after triumph, conflict is quick to come. The crowds are literally shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They are waving palm branches. They are taking off their cloaks and putting them down on the road. It is this prophetic fulfillment of what the Old Testament prophets have declared will happen prior to the crucifixion of Christ. And Jesus goes from this amazing, prophetic, glory-filled processional to fighting off merchants and religious folks in the temple. And this is the pattern of Christ's ministry. Jesus goes from the Mount of Transfiguration, a glory experience, into dealing with disciples in the valley who can't cast out a demon. Jesus goes from teaching in the temple, signs, wonders, and miracles, to the crowds attempting to push him off a cliff. Jesus goes from an open heaven baptism experience to testing in the wilderness for 40 days. What if going from glory to glory has nothing to do with the ease of your task and everything to do with the discipline of your spirit? What if going from glory to glory means the art of giving God glory no matter what type of exterior circumstance you're dealing with? See, some people sign up to follow Jesus only to wither away at the first sign of trouble. And Jesus warned us about these types of folks. He says there are folks who sprout up quickly, but their roots are shallow and the cares of life choke them out. See, there seems to be this misnomer today. Like if I just follow Jesus, it absolves me of all trouble, turmoil, or conflict. Like here is my get out of jail free card stamped by Jesus himself. Friend, I get in more trouble today as a result of following Jesus than I ever have before. And watch what James, the brother of Jesus says, consider it pure joy. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith, it produces perseverance. Now allow perseverance to finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. See what happens if you don't allow perseverance to finish its work? You end up immature, you end up incomplete, and you end up lacking lots. I am here to remind you this morning, friend, let God finish his work. One of the worst mistakes you can make as a believer is to interrupt the process of your development by giving up in the middle of your conflict. 
Before I was married, my friends and I got a bright idea one year that we were going to host our own Thanksgiving dinner. It was just me and a couple of the guys that, that I grew up with. None of us had cooked a turkey a day in our life. So we went to the Safeway. We bought the biggest bird that we could, stuck it in the oven, turned it on, and just expected that what would pop out would be a full Thanksgiving dinner with all the trimmings and trappings. And I remember being at that house, going to that oven every 10 to 12 minutes to open it up just to see how our big bird was doing in that small oven. And I kid you not, that thing took six and a half hours to cook. And what we didn't realize is that every time we opened the oven door, the heat, which was the necessary ingredient for the cooking of the bird, was being let out because we got nervous that the bird wasn't being developed in the way that it should be. And how many times do we get into the cauldron of conflict and instead of allowing God to finish his work, we got to go to the open door, open it one more time just to make sure that that thing is still working. You got to know this morning, friend, God doesn't promise you a problem-free life. He promises you a presence-filled life, regardless of the storms that you face. Often I've found conflict to be the greatest tool of development that God has to help deepen our roots, strengthen our resolve, and shift our perspective. Consider the palm tree. Its root systems are actually strengthened by hurricane force winds. When the wind begins to blow, the roots begin to grow deep. Some of them up to two or three miles deep, attaching themselves to the bedrock of the soil because although they will be bent, they refuse to break. See, our world has told us that all conflict is bad. And so in turn, we've developed a conflict adverse generation of people who are scared to death of their own shadows, lest someone disapprove of their opinion or position. Hear me, there are some things that are so valuable, they are worth fighting over. And the fact that merchants and religious folks made roadblocks to encountering the presence of God was enough for Jesus to turn tables over. So the next time somebody says, what would Jesus do? Just go ahead and remind them that flipping tables and kicking out devils is a distinct possibility. Now watch what Matthew says. It says, Jesus entered the temple. He drove out the merchants. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. See, in the old covenant ceremonial law, if you couldn't afford a lamb, you were allowed to offer two doves as an atoning sacrifice for your sins. There was a practical reason for why the merchants were in the temple. However, the merchants had become predatory. They were selling doves for 20 times their normal cost, creating roadblocks for pilgrims who had come to worship and pray. Hear me. Matthew 21 is not about selling church merch in the foyer. It has nothing to do with whether or not the church has a cafe or a bookstore. It has everything to do with the roadblock of religion, keeping people from interacting with God. Watch the feedback of Jesus in Matthew 23. Woe to you, you teachers of the law and you Pharisees. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert and when you have succeeded, you make them twice the child of hell that you are. 
Matthew 22, Jesus replied, you are mistaken because you do not know the scriptures, nor do you know the power of God. Luke 11, Jesus replied, you are experts in the law, but woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Any place you find the burden of religion that keeps people in bondage, there you will find a Jesus who desires to lighten your load. Any place where you find shame and condemnation for your past mistakes, there you will find a Jesus who desires to forgive your past. Any place that you find depression or anxiety, there you will find a Jesus who desires to give you hope and peace. Friend, his yoke is easy, his burden is light, and he will stop at nothing to clear your path so you can access grace in your time of need. Out of all of the verses that mention doves in scripture, Maybe the most prominent is when Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son in whom I love and with you I am well pleased. I want you to notice something. The father gives his affirmation of the son before one miracle is ever done, before one sermon is ever preached, before one convert is ever won. And you gotta know today that we don't work for the affirmation of the father, we work from the affirmation of the father. Before you ever provided anything for him, he declared through the sacrifice of his son that you had value that you were worth buying back. And when you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he said, this is my son or my daughter in who I am well pleased. Now watch. For the last 2,000 years of Christendom, the dove has been used in art, poetry, music, movies, paintings, and pictures to represent the Holy Spirit of God. And here is my request for you this morning. It's the same request that Jesus made in the temple 2,000 years ago. Do not sell the dove. His spirit is much too precious. His anointing is much too real. His power is much too needed. Friend, resist the temptation to sell your birthright for a cup of soup. Do not sell the dove. See, there's a subtle temptation for believers in the Northwest today. It's like the older we get, the smarter we get, the more influence we have, the higher the position we have, the more education we receive, the less spirit-filled we become. And it is my conviction that the bigger we get, the more reliant on God's spirit we must become. Human wisdom is simply not strong enough to regenerate the human heart. No, I am not embarrassed to believe in miracles. I am not ashamed to pray in the spirit. I am not afraid of what the religious folks will say. I know that I am not smart enough to do this great work. We need a fresh outpouring of God's spirit in our churches, on our schools, in our universities, and friend all across this region. Now watch this exchange in the early church. There was a man named Simon. The Bible called him a sorcerer. And when he saw Peter operating under the power of God, he said, give me this ability so that everyone who I lay hands on might also receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift. Hear me, friend. You can't buy it because it's not for sale. 
The spirit is given by God. It is received by faith and it is activated by grace. You can't buy it because it isn't yours to begin with. You can't buy it because it is not a product. It is a person. See, you can buy big buildings, but you can't buy revival. You can buy LED screens, but you can't buy the anointing. You can buy fancy cameras, but you can't buy an outpouring of God's presence. His spirit isn't for sale, but instead it is freely available to all who call on his name. And how do you know that you are truly wealthy? When you have things that money can't buy, listen, pursuit, we don't try to buy the dove, we don't try to sell the dove, but instead we exalt the lamb and we watch the dove descend. It is not just that the dove represented God's spirit. It's that the dove throughout scripture represented God's peace. In Genesis 8, the Bible says Noah waited seven more days and again he sent out the dove from the ark. And when the dove returned to him in the evening, there was in his beak a freshly plucked olive leaf. And then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. See, when the dove came back from the olive branch, with the olive branch, Noah knew the waters had receded and it was almost his time for the family to leave the ark. Not only does the dove represent peace, but the olive represents covenant in Jewish literature. God is telling Noah, I am once again making a covenant of peace with humanity, and I will never again flood the earth in judgment. See, watch what Jesus says in John 14. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives, and do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. See, peace isn't a product that Jesus sells. It is the very essence of his personhood. When God walks into the room, it is your heart that is flooded with peace. Peace is actually the matrix for how church decisions got made in the New Testament. In Acts 15, scripture records, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. No friend, peace is not the absence of conflict. It is the presence of the prince in the midst of it. For even as Isaiah prophesied, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. It's not just that the dove represented God's peace, it's that the dove throughout scripture represented innocence and purity. In Matthew 10 and 16, Jesus tells the disciples, behold, I send you out as sheep amongst wolves. So be wise as serpents, but be as innocent as doves. That word innocent in the Greek is only used three times in the New Testament. It literally translates to this English word, unmixed. Paul says this to the church in Philippi, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. See, Jesus constantly warns against the mixture of the Pharisees. Jesus warns against the mixture of Herod. The New Testament authors consistently warn against the temptation towards syncretism in the pagan culture. And why is there such warnings all across scripture? Because a little leaven leavens the whole loaf. 
See, the enemy loves to mix in a little lie to God's truth and then feed it to a generation that hasn't developed the appetite to know the difference. The world loves to mix in a little compromise to God's church and then present it to people who couldn't care less. Hear me, friend. We are not competing with Hollywood to try and be cool. We are not cozying up with culture to try and be relevant. We are a chosen generation. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. And we are a peculiar people that we may proclaim the praises of him who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Now, being innocent is not the same as being sheltered. Hear me. Innocence is not about trying to protect me or my kids from the big bad world, but instead to so expose them to the holiness of a God who is drawn near that when the world offers them cheap alternatives, they have no interest in what the world is selling. Yeah. You know what's interesting about doves? They lack the ability to have peripheral vision. Meaning they can't see side to side. Once they lock eyes on a target, it's physically impossible for them to be distracted by objects on either side. And I just wonder if maybe that's the best picture for the church today. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such great a cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us. Let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Listen, we are not selling our spirits we refuse to lose our peace. We will not become distracted and we will live unmixed lives. Watch what happens. As soon as Jesus clears the temple courts of religious roadblocks, predatory merchants and impure motives, it says, then the blind and lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. See, oftentimes we are praying for an end result and then get upset at the process that God takes to bring about the very thing that we are praying for. What if in order for God to answer your prayer, he first had to turn some tables and correct your motive? What if in order to answer your prayer, God first had to shift your focus and change your perspective? What if in order to answer your prayer, God first needed to change some of the attitudes in your heart? See, I think if we were being honest this morning, we are the ones who tend to sabotage our own journey the most. Oh, I know it's easy to blame others. But how many times have I got in the way of what God has wanted to do and then blamed someone else or something else for my position in life? Listen, friend, if you could kick in the rear the person who has caused the most problems in your life, you wouldn't be able to sit down for a week. Here's my prayer this morning for me and you. God, whatever roadblock I've constructed in my mind, my body, my emotions, or my spirit. I now give you permission to turn that over and make room for what you wanna do next. 
What if the mess that you see now is a necessary stepping stone to the healing and the restoration that is going to happen next? Here's what I found. Oftentimes, Jesus has to disrupt what is to make room for what's next. Oh, the temple courts look like a mess. Merchants were fleeing, tables are turned over, animals were running around, birds were flying, but it was a necessary disturbance to bring about God's sovereign plan. Church is messy and it should be. Marriage is messy, community is messy, friendships are messy. And the bigger your life grows, the more potential for mess you have. No, I'm not afraid to make a mistake, but I wanna keep an open heart that when Jesus needs to flip a table, even if it's the one that I'm sitting at, he's got permission to do whatever he needs to do. Jesus is still in the business of clearing room, making ways where there seems to be no way. And Jesus is looking at the temple as a construction of the old covenant. And yet everywhere he walks, he brings this new covenant reality. There is coming a day where we will neither worship on this mountain or that mountain, but true worshipers will worship him in spirit and in truth. And when Jesus looks at the temple courts, his heart is grieved at the roadblocks that religion has created for people to encounter a holy God. And so Jesus, in a moment of righteous indignation, begins to flip tables and then gives a prophetic announcement. This house will be a house of prayer. It doesn't matter what nation you're from. It doesn't matter what sickness you've got. It doesn't matter what political party you belong to. It doesn't matter how dark your life has been. It doesn't matter how many divorces you've had. It doesn't matter how many abortions you've experienced. It simply does not matter because when Jesus draws near, he heals the sick parts of your heart. He heals the lame parts of your mind. God, who is the great reconciler of humanity, begins to do a work that no man can do, not by our own might, nor by our own power, but in fact, by his spirit alone. And if I could give you a prophetic charge this morning, it would simply be this, refuse to be tempted to sell the dove. We need his spirit more than we've ever needed it before. We need an encounter with a holy God, not just texts on a page, but an encounter and an experience with his presence. And I believe that what you feel when you walk over the threshold of those front doors is a house that has been prepared often through the construct of conflict and mess, but it is stopping at nothing to make room for people to encounter his presence. It wasn't too long ago where not only was the pursuit often a place of spiritual messiness, but physical messiness as well. This building was under constant construction for the first two years of ownership. We'd be here on Saturday night jackhammering floors and get here early Sunday morning to try to sweep up the mess. People would be walking in in their Sunday clothes and pretty soon they'd have a, they'd have a film of dust from head to toe. We had to put up signs in the foyer that said, excuse our mess, construction is happening. I want you to know that this is a safe place for you to be transparent about whatever mess you're in. Because all mess testifies to is that the great 
carpenter of heaven is at work in your life. Oh, these altars are a place where marriages are restored. These altars are a place where prodigals come back home. These altars are a place where people get born again, baptized in water, baptized in the Holy Spirit. These altars are a place where the sick and the lame are healed. Oh, I never want church to be so safe and so clean and so programmed that we don't make room for the mess of God's Spirit. Oh, when God shows up, He'll rearrange the program. When God shows up, worship will go on another 45 minutes. When God shows up, people spontaneously come to the altar. And I think what we have learned to love in the West is churches that are so safe and so programmed that we in our own human wisdom think we have figured out God. But I want you to know that if for the rest of our lives we worship Him, we are barely scratching the surface of how great He is. You are barely catching a glimpse of how wonderful He is. You are barely seeing one square inch of His sovereign might and authority over the affairs of man. Oh, when we draw near to God in this house, I want to hold high the mystery of His holiness. I want to hold high the mystery of His personhood. And I want to admit that I don't have all the answers, but I have met the one who does. His name is Jesus, and He's got permission to flip any table that He needs. Christian development is messy. But if you've signed up to follow this Jesus, I can promise you this. He is not safe, but he is good. And you can trust that you've got a good God working on your behalf this morning. Don't sell the dove, exalt the lamb and watch the dove descend. Come on, would you stand with me as we close? Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you that you are in the business of turning mess into miracles. You found us in the mess of the miry clay. You found us in the mess of the valley of the shadow. You found us in the mess of religious roadblocks. You found us in the mess of our own self-sabotage. You found us in the mess of our own anxiety and depression. And you walked into the middle of our mess and it is healing virtue that came out of you. And so God, we're here today to give you great praise and great thanks, not only for what you've done in our past, but for what you're doing in our present and what you will do in our future. And God, today we give you fresh permission. Any roadblock I've set up, may it come down. Any darkness that I've entertained, may your light shine it up. Any religious idea that has kept me from you, you have come to dismantle those works and destroy those arguments. And so God, we give you permission. Do what only you can do. Father, we love you. We honor you this morning. In Jesus' name, come on, all God's people said amen and amen.